with summer ending and fall coming, we thought it was appropriate to talk about keeping a balance in our lives. I don't See, know I was you... I was displaying, you know, it's yeah. just a visual there to Thank you for that set visual, up for the honey. message this morning. Yes. yes, you did a great job. Yeah. I don't know about you guys, but I've spent the last week with calendars out in front of me and trying to get all these things going, okay, oh, that's that weekend in October. We were planning on doing this. Okay, I'm going to have to shift that to here and taking a look at everything that's coming up in the fall. And for those of you with kids, you're starting to look and go, do we do piano again this year? Oh, uh, what about soccer? Should, we, should everybody do soccer? Maybe we should just have this one do soccer and that one not do soccer. You're looking at school and you're trying to say, gosh, should I be involved in the PTA? Should I be the homeroom mother? Maybe when I'm there for back to school night, I can sneak by that volunteer uh, table and just move on. And those of us that don't have kids are going to notice a difference as school starts as well. Um, I don't know about you guys, but my drive work increases by 10 minutes. And I do not live that far from work, but it increases by 10 minutes when school is in session. I spend a lot more time sitting at the stoplights than I do in the summertime. And you guys are smart. You come to the 9 o'clock service. But if you came to the 11 o'clock service, you would notice that you'd have to spend a lot of time driving around trying to find a parking space. And you may end up parking in the neighborhood somewhere because church gets a lot fuller in the fall than it does in the summer. So as we're looking at all the things that are going on, we want to consider how do we keep life in balance? How do we handle this busyness and not get overwhelmed? Because we're convinced that God created us to have a balance in our lives between work, rest, play, and worship. We were created to live in balance, and even in a rhythm. If you take a look at the world and the way that it's created, almost everything has a rhythm that's associated with it. We have fall, and then we have winter, and we have spring, and we have summer, and even though this is a, school, a cool summer, it's still summer, and we know fall is coming. If you take a look at the tides in the ocean, they're very predictable. They go out, and fortunately, they come back in again. You can get a timetable on the tides. God creates life and has created the world to have a rhythm and a balance. And so we want to look at what's our rhythm and what's our balance. Now, there isn't a rule book for this or a formula that all good people or all good Christians do this. They spend this much time in worship and this much time in rest and this much time in work. But it takes constant adjustments in our life. It's a little bit like driving a car. If we get up here on the interstate and we're heading to Joplin, which is a pretty, pretty straight shot, if you are not consistently kind of adjusting the wheel, you're going to drive right off, um, right off the interstate. And so when we make these adjustments, we develop a rhythm, uh, kind of a pattern uh, or, or a certain kind of a flow. A rhythm is defined as movement or fluctuation marked by the regular recurrence or natural flow of related elements. So we're suggesting work, rest, play, and worship. How do we get in a rhythm uh, of these activities? Matthew eleven twenty eight 28 says, Come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. I love how it's... Um, said in the Message Bible, listen to this, are you tired, worn out, burned out on religion? Come to me. 
Get away with me and you'll recover your life. I'll show you how to take a real rest. Walk with me and work with me. Watch how I do it, Jesus says. Learn the unforced rhythms of grace. I love that. I won't lay anything heavy or ill-fitting on you. Keep company with me and you'll learn to live freely and lightly. So as we look at these four elements together, we want you to think of three things in particular. First of all, we believe that each of us uniquely, because we have different personalities, different makeups, different life experiences, we have a unique rhythm um, that is specific for us. And so as you walk through this, your rhythm may look different than your neighbor's rhythm. Husbands might look different than your wife's. But what is your rhythm? And it's unique to you. And the second thing is if we get out of rhythm, then something in us diminishes. Remember, the whole point of this is for fullness of life. It's not a rule book, but it's for fullness of life so that we're fully expressing who we have been designed to be. And if we get out of rhythm, we diminish somehow. And, and, and then thirdly is if we get out of rhythm, not only do we impact ourselves, but we impact those around us. We can begin to harm and damage um, those around us as well. And I want to just, as I've thought about this, I think I should add a fourth. Uh, we've had an opportunity to work with some um, folks over the years that would, we would consider have some of the greatest gifts in all different kinds of areas, whether it's in ministry or, or business or medicine or education or sciences or whatever um, their giftings are. And I would just say this, that no one is exempt from this. No one, because of their uniqueness or their unique gifts, is exempt from having to have a rhythm. Everybody will unravel. Everybody will be diminished if we don't pay attention to these rhythms. So the first thing we're going to look at is work. The very first words after an initial introduction with somebody is usually, what do you do? What is it that you do? We tend to be defined by what it is that you do. Oh, you're a school teacher. You're an accountant. You're an engineer. Well, you're a stay-at-home, full-time, stay-at-home mom or dad. Um, or you're a, you're a, um, you do homeschooling. Or you work in, you're a business owner. Or you, you're a salesman. You're a lawyer or a doctor or a butcher or a baker or a candlestick maker. Um, it tends to be that thing that, um, that we do defines who we are. It's what we go to school for. It, it oftentimes determines where we live and what community we live in. It, it impacts a lot of our life. And if we're not careful, it's what we do that causes us to then give up, play, and rest. And if we're really not careful, it's what we can end up worshiping. And so how do we pay attention to this? Now, we speak of work being something that we can get out of balance with. That's kind of why we're starting with that, because certainly in our American culture, it's, it's very easy to get focused on this, as this is what life is all about. But when we suggest this, we are not saying that it's bad or that it's evil. Um, we'll talk about the, the importance of work here in just a minute. But if we don't pay attention, um, again, we can be diminished. And if we don't have the right understanding or the right attitude towards work, it can impact us in a negative way. There's a few simple things about work that we would like to share with you to help us keep it properly aligned in our lives. The first one is you are designed to work. You know, a lot of times we think that work was part of the fall, but we were created to work before the fall. 
In Genesis 2.15, it says, The Lord God took the man and put him in the Garden of Eden to work it and take care of it. We have been designed to work. It is part of our core nature. It's what we were created to do. And so we thrive when we are in a work setting, when we have purpose and we have meaning to our lives. If you've read anything at all or know anything at all about the nobility in the 18th century in England and France, there were people there who did not have to work. And they ended up with very twisted and very unhealthy lives in many circumstances. Work is also a part of how God provides for our needs. If we take a look at Proverbs, we see many times there are scriptures on work. For instance, a hard worker has plenty of food, but a person who chases fantasies has no sense. Thieves are jealous of each other's loot, but the godly are well-rooted and bear their own fruit. Hard work brings rewards. The third one is that your work is a service to humankind. Whatever it is, whether you're a butcher or a baker or a candlestick maker, you are serving humankind, and it's important. Whatever the piece of the puzzle is, in God's heart, it's important. Now, in our culture, we have these hierarchies of these are more important and these are more valuable services. I don't think God sees it that way at all. Every role is valuable. Every role is important. It all comes down to your attitude uh, and your focus and why is it that you're working. Colossians 4.23 says, Whatever you do... Work at it with all your heart as working for the Lord, not for men. Since you know that you will receive an inheritance from the Lord as a reward, it is the Lord Christ you are serving. The reality is that God wants to love and protect and clothe and shelter and educate and feed and heal and care for his humanity. He just simply chooses to do it through us. We have an opportunity to be his reflection and to do this service. And if we work rightly, then we join with him in his heart's desire to to obliterate hunger and poverty and unrighteousness and fear and injustice and all the the lack and the evils in the world. So we are simply co-laborers with him uh, in this journey. Whatever you do is a service to him by serving the world. And I would say again, whatever it is that you do. Uh, Many of you know um, Ivan. You've been greeted by Ivan uh, if you've been here very well. He's been here for years and years and years, and uh, he just he does so many things in our in our church. He's a he's just a, um, he's a he's a servant at heart, and he happens to be a plumber. How many of you have had a plumbing issue and you needed a plumber? Um, when plumbing goes bad, it goes bad, right? I mean, things are really really bad. And I'm thankful for plumbers. I'm thankful that we have indoor plumbing. I'm thankful when we remodeled the bathroom over here. We spent half of our time underground. We jackhammered up the floor for the ladies' bathroom, and Ivan was down there doing his magic so that everything smells nice when you go in there. It's and a, the toilets flush in <laughs> yes, the new bathroom. It's a beautiful thing. It's a miracle. Yes. And so he is serving humankind as he works and honors God. Uh, In the next service, um, our good friend who's been our dentist all of our adult life will be here. Have you had a toothache? Are you glad for dentist? Um, um, He has served humankind and does that in honor of the Lord. So whatever it is you do, it it is a service to humankind. And then finally, find the yoke that fits. Matthew 11, 30 again, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Doesn't mean that 
work is not going to be cha- challenging and feel it som- sometimes like it's a burden. Uh, a yoke is designed, most of you know that a yoke is something that was designed to put over an animal like an oxen to be able to carry a heavy load. It helps them carry uh, the load uh, without being harmed. If they had to grab some part of the reins of a sleigh in their mouth and try to kind of drag it along, it, would, it wouldn't be very effective. Actually, it would harm them and they wouldn't be able to carry as much. But somehow when the yoke fits just right, they're able to carry the proper burden. And I believe that there's a yoke, there's a, there's a fit for each and, and every one of us. And so it's looking for that and finding what that is in our life. All right, we have a friend, um, Dave Jewett, who has a, an organization called Your One Degree. Some of you may have heard of it. The idea is that out of 360 degrees, that each of us have one degree, that one thing that's our thing that we've been designed to do. And it's searching for what that is and lining our life up with that so that we are full of life and full of energy when we do it. The idea is that God's desire when our yoke fits us that we will do this thing and it actually energizes us. He talks about the idea of we have things in our life that are green lights, things that are yellow lights, and things that are red lights. Green lights are things that you will do that when you do it, it lights you up. And you would do it even if you didn't get paid for it. It's something that energizes you and brings you to life. Yellow lights are those things that they're kind of neutral. They, they don't really give us life, but they don't take away either. And all of us in all of our jobs have some of those kinds of things. But then there are red lights. Those are things that we do that absolutely kill us. It just sucks the life out of us. And we, do, we don't enjoy it. We don't look forward to it. It drains us. If the, if the very last job on the planet was a door-to-door salesman, I could do it because I need to take care of my family. But I'm telling you, at the end of every day, I would be dead. It would actually absolutely suck the life out of me. It is not my personality to do cold call sales. Uh, after a few of those and people weren't buying, I would be doubting myself. What am I doing wrong? I mean, it would, it would be horrible. And so that's not a good thing for me. That's one of the benefits we have here of having multiple voices um, and multiple pastors is it allows your pastors to be able to do the green lights. Now, all of us have to do some yellow lights, but to stay away from those red lights so that we can be fully alive. And you get the best of the best from, from each of the different expressions. And so what is um, that yoke that fits for you? But God will use any job that you have. Some of you may be in the building phase of life right now, the paying your dues jobs where you don't necessarily like them, but you need to do them either to gain experience or to pay the bills. God can use even those in your life. I look back on some of the jobs that I had that were kind of like my filler jobs before I got real jobs. And some of those skills that I learned in those jobs, I actually need today for what I'm doing. I didn't realize it at the time, but I was developing skills. I was learning how to work with people. I learned so many things that I use today. So anything that you're doing, any job that you're in, do it as unto the Lord. Work hard at it and say, there must be benefit for me being in this job right now. But even if you have the right attitude towards work, it's, okay, I know this is my job. I have the right attitude. If we don't keep work in balance, with rest, play, and worship, it can actually harm us and harm our relationships. 
stress studies, uh, stress studies when you um, look at them. There's, there's one of them that gives a real clear understanding for this. It, it suggests that uh, on a chart that we are designed to climb a really, really high mountain, that we have been built to work really hard. Um, but if we don't have at the top of that, if we don't have a corresponding valley of recovery, which would be rest and play and worship, before we climb that next high mountain and then rest and play and worship, before we climb that heck next high mountain, then we will become, we will start unraveling as humans. And we've all seen this um, in our lives because so often we pack our lives full of things where we push, 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 and then we take just a little bit of a dip, and then we push, 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 and a little bit of a dip. You do that very long, and you will begin to diminish. Life will begin to come apart. And that very thing that you're actually pushing at will become a drudgery um, and a pain in your life. So, so we're going to take a look next at rest. Generally, when you ask somebody how they're doing, what is usually the first words that come out of their mouth? What was that? Fine. Fine? Okay. Besides fine. Busy. Isn't that usually the words that come out of our mouth? It's kind of a badge of honor, isn't it? Uh, Matter of fact, it kind of makes me feel better when I can say, oh, I'm really busy. It's just something that makes me feel like I'm a better person. And so we're going to have to push against that in the idea of rest. I was raised with the notion, I don't know if you were or not, but I was raised with the notion that you get all of your work done and then you stop and relax. Now, that worked swimmingly when I was 10. And I came home from school and I had two chores and I was able to do those chores and then I could go play. But at 57 years old, it doesn't work very well because my work is never done, ever, 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 ever. And so if I don't proactively push against that and learn how to come off of that mountain or that push, push, push and come out into that valley of recovery, I'm in trouble. Genesis 2.2, God understood this in us, by the way. By the seventh day, God had finished the work He had been doing. So on the seventh day, He rested from all His work. And God blessed the seventh day and made it holy. Because on it, he rested from all the work of creating that he had done. It says the work that he had been doing. This is not all the work that God would do forever and ever. Um, now, now, this is the God of the universe, okay? Stopped and rested. Always been curious about that. I don't think he needed it. I don't think um, he had to do that. But somehow, he was putting this idea of this rhythm um, in place for our life. He was leading by example. How do we find that place of rest? If we take a look at Exodus 35, 2, it says, For six days work is to be done, but the seventh day shall be your holy day, a Sabbath rest to the Lord. Whoever does any work on it must be put to death. That's kind of serious. <laughs> Makes it sound like maybe this is more than just a suggestion. Now, this is the Old Testament, and, and that's the law. But the law was given for the good of God's people. And Jesus came to complete the law. So now the standards are written on our hearts. And now the consequences aren't that we have religious leaders that will come and put us to death if we don't rest. But we do have something that happens in our heart and in our soul. Our creativity is quashed. We lose the ability to enjoy life 
if we don't allow ourselves to really have the appropriate amount of rest in our lives. Isaiah 58:13 says, "If you keep your feet from breaking the Sabbath and from doing as you please on my holy day, if you call the Sabbath a delight and the Lord's holy day honorable, and if you honor it by not going your own way and not doing as you please or speaking idle words, then you will find your joy in the Lord, and I will cause you to ride on the heights of the land and to feast on the inheritance of your father Jacob." The point of this is fullness of life, the way we've been designed, is when we find a place of rest. We find this idea of Sabbath rest. Now, once again, it's not um, this legal requirement. We're not going to start a new thing here where, okay, at sundown on Friday night to sundown on Saturday night, then you can't do anything. Uh, again, the law suggested that. Um, it was this 24-hour period, and as a matter of fact, the Pharisees went through and des- designed and described all the things that were work. As a matter of fact, if I carried this notebook across the room on the Sabbath, I would be sinning because that was, that was considered work if you carried something more than a few ounce, ounces to the other side of the room. So don't worry, we're not, we're not going to do that, okay? Um, but the idea is how do we find this Sabbath in our week? It's going to look different for everybody. How do we find this seventh of our week or seventh of every day? And remember, maybe not remember, but... but uh, the idea of rest was not sleep. This, this, we all go, well, I sleep at night, so that's rest. That's not, that's not what Sabbath rest was about. That was a, this is a separate thing. And what they did on that day is they pretty much did nothing. They sat on the porch and looked at the butterflies. And so something that most of us have no idea how to do. And so for us... Sunday, um, Saturday night and Sunday is not Sabbath. This is work for us. Um, this takes... So per- it's a green light. It's a green light, yes, yes but, it's, but it's effort. And, and they'll, it, it, it's, so it's, it's not rest. And so we've got to figure out some other time in our life, some other time in our week, what does rest look like? How do we do that? How do we find moments uh, in our week um, to rest? There was an interesting study that was done uh, several years ago, and they tracked people that worked 55 to 60 hours a week for seven weeks in a row. And then they tracked the same people that just worked 40 to 45 hours for seven weeks in a row. You know what they found out? They got the same amount of work done. That extra 10 or 15 hours a week actually did not increase their, their ability to get more work done. Uh, there's something in us that has limits, and we hate it. It drives us crazy. I don't like limits. I, I want to push the envelope on all these things. I don't like this limit, but this is good for us. We've got to f- fight for it. We've got to proactively move towards this somehow, or it's not going to happen in our life. I attended a continuing ed seminar on stress and how we deal with stress, and the speaker said, it has been shown that the average American spends the same amount of time at work over the course of a lifetime. So whatever your job is, however many hours that you take off, you still will end up with the same amount of time. And what he said was, the people that take vacation, you can take vacation, and you end up still working as much as the other people. So he said, you can either take vacation every year, take time off, or you can work a lot more and save up all that vacation time for your bypass surgery a number of years down the road. And they've actually found that's true, that people will use it either for 
health reasons at some point in their lives. God wants us to have balance because he knows it's good for us. He knows that's the best way for us to have a a full and a healthy life. We function best with balance. Uh, Leviticus 16 talks about keeping the Sabbath, Sabbath, and it says you must deny yourself. We have to discipline ourselves to have rest. We have to discipline ourselves to have play and to have worship. As you read through the New Testament, you see the, the life of Jesus when he was on earth. He did have balance in his life. There were times that scripture said he would pull away to be by himself. And one of the interesting things that I've seen is there were a lot of times, and notice this the next time you're reading through the Gospels, there were a lot of times that he didn't do what other people wanted him to do. I think about when Lazarus was sick and uh, Mary and Martha sent for him. He waited two days before he went. He didn't respond immediately. Or I think about when he was um, sleeping in the boat. You know, can you imagine what it was like for the disciples with him sleeping in the boat? I would think I would be going, now you're sleeping, we have a storm, and now you're sleeping. You have preached for hours and days. In fact, you've preached so much that there were times you asked us to get food for all of these people. And now you take the time to rest? But scripture is clear that Jesus did what his father told him to do. He didn't do things to please man. He always listened to his father, and I think that's what helped him keep his life in balance. A balanced life isn't a selfish life. A balanced life is one that gives us the space and the energy to do the things that God called us to do and to not do all those good things that we could do in our lives. The next one is my favorite, play. I've been called the pastor of play. (laughs) We hear the wisdom of Solomon in Ecclesiastes when he says, There is a time for everything and a season for every activity under heaven, a time to weep and a time to laugh, a time to mourn and a time to dance. I know that there is nothing better for men than to be happy and do good while they live, that everyone may eat and drink and find satisfaction in all his toil. This is the gift of God. Proverbs 17.22 reads, A cheerful heart is good medicine. You know, when scripture talks about Jesus went away, there will be times that it says he went away to be alone, and there will be times that he went away to pray. But some of those times when he went away to be alone, we don't know what he did. We don't know if he rested. I think Jesus had play in his life. I think he and the disciples, when they pulled away from the multitude, they actually had time where they had play and they had joy in their lives. If you look at how the Pharisees and the other religious leaders judged him, they accused him of being a glutton. They accused him of drinking too much wine because he hung around with these sinners. So there must have been some fun in the socializing that he had because he was judged for how much fun he was having with these people. And we believe he didn't drink too much, um, right. the, uh, but it looked like it. And so it had to look like he was having fun. Make that perfectly clear. Yes. Um, Webster has a, a large number of definitions about play, and this is, this is one of those things that I don't do well. Um, 
and I've had to really work at. Uh, it's good that I'm married to her because um, this is a natural part of her life, but the definitions kind of go from um, active, the activity, spontaneous activity of children to engaging in sport or recreation. Uh, the idea is a temporary escape from stressors, something that gets your mind uh, off of what's going on and the weight that, that you're carrying. It's, it's, like, it's this childlike um, sense. Uh, an old-fashioned term would be the word frolic. I don't frolic. Um, <laughs> but I remember when my kids were, were young and... You know, uh, it was this. Uh, there was not only faith, but there was this carefree. We'd be in the pool, and I'd be in the deep end, and they'd be jumping off, and they had no idea that it was the deep end, and what would happen if I didn't catch them? But they just jumped off, and it was it was this great faith, but it was frothing. They were just carefree, and I think when Jesus talked about that, we have to really come to Him as a child. Part of that is that faith that I'm just jumping into your arms and not thinking about. It. But I think part of that is this. This carefreeness, this uh, this sense of of play. Uh, Doctor Tear uh, wrote a, a book, Beyond Love and Work: Why Adults Need to Play. It says people who preserve their sense of fun are better equipped to solve problems, think creatively, and manage stress. There's something about play that lights up the rest of our lives and makes us more energized in those other times. Uh, there's been studies on laughter, which is kind of an uh, an outcome of, of play. Uh, President of Laughter Remedies says, there is no longer any doubt that your daily mood or frame of mind makes a significant t- contribution to your health, especially when it persists day after day, year after year. Anything you can do to sustain a more positive, upbeat frame of mind in dealing with the daily hassles and problems in your life contributes to your physical health at the same time that it helps you cope with stress and be more effective on the job. Your sense of humor is one of the most powerful tools you have to make certain that your daily mood and emotional state support good health. Laughter in studies has been shown to lower uh, blood pressure, reduce stress hormones, increase muscle flexion, boost immune function. It triggers the release of endorphins, which is the, na- the body's natural painkillers, and produces general sense of well-being. Something about laughter that brings life um, and freedom to us. What, what is the way that you play? I spend a lot of time with people that are going through probably one of the number one issues of our culture right now, which is stress and anxiety. They're just they're feeling anxious more than they have ever felt before. And I said, what do you do to play? And they can't think of it. They scratch their head, well, I, I used to do this, but I don't have time to do that. Since the baby came along or since this happened or since I'm back in school again or since I've got this new job or since this, that, or the other, I don't do it anymore. So what is, what is your play? Uh, for Janice and I, it's different. Play for her is, is, um, can be decorating. Anything to make things beautiful, planting flowers, those are things that are play to her. Uh, play to me can be uh, working with my hands, working on a project, uh, at the house, remodeling the bathroom. If I if I don't have this time frame that I have to finish it in, if I just let myself be at peace doing it, I get lost in it and forget everything else. And the wonderful thing about remodeling is it stays there when it's done. It's actually finished. Everything else in my world changes. Nobody else is finished. 
Um, but a bathroom is finished when it's done. I don't ever walk in the bathroom and the tile goes, you know, I don't want to be in this room anymore. I want to be in the other room. I'm not happy with the way the faucet that you put on me. It doesn't ever say that. It's, it's a beautiful thing. Um, I like to play golf. It's, I, I played on the team in high school. And so one of my frustrations is I can't do what I remember I used to, I, what I used to be able to do. So I don't go to play to score well now. But there's something about just being on a golf. I just forget everything. You know, they say that we men like golf courses because it's a perfectly manicured lawn and somebody else did it. Um, and so what is your play for us as a couple? Do you, do you know how to play as a couple? A lot of couples don't know how to play. One of the things that, that we love doing is traveling. And Janice says that my attitude, my countenance changes when we hit the, the city limits, that something, I just relax more. And so even if it's an overnight or this or that, we, we love doing it. So what, what is your play and how can you recapture that? The fourth one is worship. Psalms 95 says, Come, let us bow down in worship. Let us kneel before the Lord our Maker, for He is our God and we are the people of His pasture, the flock under His care. Romans 12.1, Therefore I urge you, brother, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as living sacrifices, holy and pleasing to God, which is your spiritual worship. Worship. Lifting your voice and your heart to praise Him. Offering ourselves over to Him. The essence of worship is letting go control of our lives and putting it into His hands. The moment we recognize our limitations and we choose to turn our lives, our plans, and our hopes over to Him, we move into worship. We're saying, I can't do this life on my own. I am turning it over to you. I'm giving it to you. I am yours. And I trust you with my life. I know that you're the God of the universe. And you're omnipotent. You're omnipresent. You're omniscient. And I'm not. Worship focuses our attention on him and away from us and our stuff and our issues. The act of worship, singing, praising, declaring his goodness helps us forget ourselves. And it puts our focus in the way that it needs to be on him. God doesn't ask us to worship because he's needy. And he's this codependent God that's like, I have to have you worship me so that I feel happy. God calls us to worship because we need it. It's what heals us. It's what rests us. It's what refreshes us. And it's what puts our life into perspective and into balance. Psychologist William James, you can tell as a man of faith, said, The only true happy people I know are those who have found a cause greater than themselves to live for. The point can be made that worship is, when we talked about work, is actually going to work and working as unto the Lord, that that's actually worship. And that's true. Um, this piece that we're talking about here is the worship that we think about here when we stand up and sing songs, and whether you're a singer or not. Um, I'm always amazed at musicians. I'm not a great musician, but, but I love to sing. It's good that I'm in the front row singing this way, so y'all can't hear me, but... Uh, uh, there, there's something about that that is that that focuses our attention on Him. I find myself during the week having some of these words come back to my mind. There's a reason that we repeat choruses and sing them over and over again. 
Whatever it is that we repeat forms us. It makes us um, into that thing that we are doing. Um, so that we are turning our mind, our will, and our emotions over to Him. We're focusing on Him. That repetition does that. It's, it also is um, so that we don't... Aren't det- it's not determined based on our feelings that we are impacted this way. We, we do this whether we feel like it or not, but it orients us towards, towards Him. It also bonds us with God. Whatever it is you do out of habit, whatever it is that you focus on, Whatever you worship, definition being admire, revere, hold in high esteem, whatever it is that you do uh, with that in your life, you will bond to it. If you worship or if you um, admire, revere, or hold in high esteem things or your work or a person, you will bond to that person. And whatever you're bonded to, when they move, you'll move right with it. And so we are actually bonding with God when we worship. We are we're learning to move with His, uh, his movements uh, in our life. So taking this time to repeat these words and to do this, again, forms us and it, and it bonds us with Him. In a moment, we're going to take communion. We're going to come to the table. We do this every week. We believe that there's a bonding that's going on with us in the story and with God and receiving from Him. So why don't you stand to your feet this morning?